to confessing our need. I'm well aware of my need even this morning. I pray that you would make us aware of our need. That we would be riveted and compelled to turn to the God who is sufficient to meet all of our needs. And so would you open our eyes this morning to see you as the one who is in control of all things. The one who is trustworthy in all things. God, help us say we believe that you can set us free. We believe that you grant and give grace in the midst of uncertainty. We believe that with you, worry and anxiety, it's not needed. And so help us see a compassionate Savior this morning in and through your word, inviting us to come, inviting us to find rest, inviting us to cast our cares and our worries and our anxieties upon you. God, I pray that for that to happen, that you would do more with this sermon than I can, can do. And so would you honor the preaching of your word. I pray that you would rightly apply this word by your spirit. And so may the sermon that is heard be far more effective than the one that is preached. I pray this for your glory and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you can relate to the scenario that Kevin DeYoung writes about. You wake up 10 minutes later than you had hoped, and anxiety begins to creep in. What if I'm late? What about traffic? And have I even checked the weather? You jump up, you pass by the mirror in a hurry, and you catch a glimpse of yourself, and you're not really sure you like what you saw. Maybe you began to be worried about the streaks of gray in your hair. Or if you're at a different life stage, maybe you're worried about the acne breaking out across your forehead. Or maybe it's the wrinkles on your skin, or maybe it's the pounds around your waist. And then in that moment, you begin to realize all of the things that you have to do, and worry begins to set in. Immediately, the to-do list drops down in your mind the applications, the running around, everything. How are you going to get it done? Because today there's no margin for error. And if you've checked your phone by this point, yeah, that wasn't a good idea because a lot of things to worry about met you. Emails, people asking you for things. You've seen the news. You see the, the news about the war, mass shootings somewhere, inflation, moral degradation continuing to happen in our culture. Or maybe, particularly true of our students, maybe you've opened your phone and you begin to see pictures bouncing back and forth between friends. And so often you begin to feel friendless, maybe even ugly, like you aren't measuring up. And you've not even gotten to breakfast yet, whether it's for your, your family or for yourself, you begin to worry about your health. I mean, is sugar really bad? Uh, wait a minute, is it the good fats that I'm to have or the bad fat or in, any fat? And you don't even know what you're going to make for lunch or for dinner. You drop the kids off at school only to be met by a few more worries about their safety and their friends and their future. Or if you don't have kids, maybe you've run a few errands only to realize that the money isn't coming in as quickly as it's going out. You're reminded yet again that the relationship continues to be hard. You just need to get home and take a little bit of a break. So you get home and you open up social media. And there you read about how unbelievably awesome everyone else's life is. You see pictures of their amazing cupcakes. All their friends who look good all of the time going to all of the interesting places. The kids that are succeeding at everything. And then you begin to feel like a failure. Later that morning, you're walking around the house and you begin to realize, wait a minute, I've had this backache for a while. And now that I think about it, I've had a sore throat for about a month. And so to alleviate any concern, you jump back onto the internet 
only to realize that you are sick with everything. <laughs> Every disease somehow fits all of your nondescript symptoms. You get to the end of your day and you just want to unwind, so you turn on the TV only to be met with a barrage of just bad, worrisome news. And so you turn the TV off and maybe you begin to talk to your spouse or your roommate, but they seem distant. They don't seem very happy in their job. You then realize that maybe their job isn't as secure as you thought, and so worry begins to set in. Then you begin to realize that in the course of this conversation, they've been dealing with some medical condition or sickness or low-level pain. So you just decide, this has been quite the day, I'm ready to head to bed, and though you're utterly exhausted, you get into bed and you do what? You can't sleep. You lie there wide awake, you rehearse everything that went wrong in the day, things you should have said and done differently, and then you begin to realize everything that awaits you tomorrow. You start to rehearse things that you need to do. And that begins to cause more and more anxiety to build up. And finally, you're able to doze off, and maybe you wake up a little bit later in the middle of the night, and you want to go back to sleep, but you can't, which just increases your worry and your anxiety about the next day and how tired you're going to be because you're not sleeping right now. And so you're able to finally drift back off. You get a few hours of sleep. You wake up tired, exhausted, and anxious looking at the prospect of another day marked by anxiety and worry. I wonder this morning how much of that you can relate to. Are you well acquainted with anxiety? Do you know what it's like to have the joys sort of pulled down a little bit because of the heavy weight of being anxious? I want you to know this morning, if you're struggling with anxiety, that this is not something that you are struggling in alone. This room is full of people who wrestle with anxiety. But more importantly, this room is full of people who belong to and love the Savior who is tender towards the anxious. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Is that there is a Savior who is tender toward you in your anxiety, in your weakness. Anxiety is such a broad topic. It requires care and nuance as we seek to, to walk with people in it and through it. And, and I'm reminded that we are complex beings. We're body and we're soul. And while some struggles with anxiety are rightly understood with medical diagnosis, most general anxiety, I believe, is simply matters of faith. So I want to be, I want to be clear. I want to make sure you, you hear what I'm saying. What I don't want to do is to reduce everything to the, the realm of spiritual. But also what I don't want to do is to divorce things as though the spiritual has no influence on anxiety and worry. I believe there are two ditches that we are meant to avoid, and there is a path that we are to walk on as we think of how do we biblically deal with anxiety? How do we think about anxiety? And so for, for this sermon, this sermon is aimed at those most general anxieties that are rooted with matters or in matters of faith. And so what I hope to do is to deal primarily with the spiritual root causes of anxiety. And so as we begin, I would like for you to just locate your anxieties. What is it that you're anxious about? Maybe the better question, why are you anxious about those things? What do your anxieties reveal about your view of God? What do your anxieties reveal about your view of yourself. Maybe helpful, Webster defines anxiety as fear or nervousness about that which might happen. 
fear or nervousness about that which might happen. To be anxious is to experience a loss of security. To be anxious is to be in this state of unease and dread and misgiving about something that you care about. Anxiety has this unique way of knocking everything in our minds and in our lives off center. Anxiety causes us to doubt. It makes us envision the loss of everything that we care, that we care about. It makes us lose our feelings of security by realizing how much we have to lose. As I've read a lot of definitions and a lot of articles this week, uh, I would define anxiety as the emotion that, that flows from realizing that we're not in control of something that we care about. It's that feeling that comes upon us whenever we realize that we are not in control with that which we care about. And I want to be clear, anxiety is not having a genuine concern for something. I mean, Jesus has genuine concern for things. Paul writes and he says, these are a list of all of the hardships, including the concern that I have, the worries that I have over the state of the churches. And so I don't believe anxiety is simply having genuine concern. I believe anxiety hinges upon the issue of trust. Do you trust God with your genuine concerns? Anxiety is not merely disappointment. It's not lamenting. It's not wishing that things were different. Again, Kevin DeYoung helpfully said that anxiety is living out the future before it arrives. Anxiety is being weighed down by all of the what-ifs. Mystery novelist Arthur Roach explained it this way. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. And if it's in courage, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear that trickles through our mind, and if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And so, friends, I have good news for anxious hearts this morning. And that's that Jesus sees your anxious heart. Jesus knows about your anxious heart. Jesus cares for your anxious heart. And Jesus can help you overcome the anxiety that consumes your heart. His grace is greater than your anxiety. And perhaps even this whole introduction, you've just been going, I showed up a big ball of anxiety. Only to, to hear Jesus say in the passage that was read, do not be anxious about anything, and that makes me all the more anxious. Friends, don't mishear Jesus' words. Jesus is seeking to draw near to you to apply the balm that only he provides to our anxious hearts. Jesus isn't mocking you. Jesus isn't arms folded exasperated at you, sighing, saying, I can't believe you're here again. Jesus is loving and tender. And I just want you to know that if you don't think Jesus is the answer, then everywhere else you're going to turn in our culture, our culture is going to say, learn to cope with your anxiety." Learn to cope. The culture can offer no lasting solution. And part of that coping is going to be the way in which you have less anxiety is that you either try to get more control or you just care less. So gain more control 
or just stop caring as much. And I want you to know that Jesus has a better way. Jesus isn't about masking symptoms. His words are about curing disease. And there's another way. And I believe Matthew chapter 6 captures that other way. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning there, it's helpful. What we're doing this morning is we are jumping into a passage And it would be easy just to say, okay, what do these few verses say? But we can't rightly understand what these few verses say, nor what these few verses mean, unless we understand what has been said around this passage. And so we pick up literally in verse 25 with the words either therefore in your translation or in the New American Standard, it says for this reason. For what reason? Well, that connects us to the previous section in verses 19 through 24. And what Jesus has been doing and he's teaching is that followers of his should be storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Followers of Jesus should be serving God and not serving money. And now in light of all of that, in light of you can't serve two masters and so serve one. I mean, this, this whole section is about the goodness of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God and to be under the reign and the rule of a king who is always good. And if he's always good, then being a part of his kingdom is that we gladly bow our knee and we say, yes, whatever you say. Like, I want to joyfully live my life saying no to the things of this world and saying yes to being under your rule and your reign. And so in light of not being a a follower of Jesus who's storing up treasures on earth, in light of not being a people who are living for money and seeking to serve money, Jesus then gets to verse 25. And he says, there's no need to be worried or anxious. After speaking to those who've been tempted to run to the luxuries of this life in verses 19 through 24... Here in verse 25, it seems he now begins to speak to those who are concerned not about luxuries, but about necessities. And so here's the good news this morning. No matter what is causing your anxiety to flare up, whether it's the luxuries of this life or the necessities of this life, Jesus is the solution. And his words are meant to serve us to run to him. The theme of this whole chapter is to live for the kingdom of God and that living for his kingdom is really the only worthy purpose of our lives. Why would we settle for living for lesser things? I mean, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you if you do these things. You inherit this And so then the value systems are just, they're flipped upside down. And so we live for the king who's worthy, and it's a joy to be in his kingdom. And really, the the whole chapter culminates in verse 33 of chapter 6. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is it really possible in such a troublesome world to live a worry-free life. And I believe Jesus says that if we give ourselves to trusting in God first, then we will find ourselves believing that God will take care of the rest. If our first impulse is to trust in Him and to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, then we can trust that God will take care of the rest. And then if if we're trusting that God is going to take care of the rest, then guess what's, guess what's unnecessary? Worry. Anxiety. It's unnecessary. See, in the face of trusting God, our worry is pointless. And in our passage this morning, I believe Jesus gives us so the structure of this. He gives us a general invitation and command not to worry. And then just to 
convince our hearts. He just piles up six reasons as to why we shouldn't worry. And he ends then with two more commands. So invitation, command, six reasons backing up that invitation and that command, and then two specific commands at the end. That's where we're going. The first general command, invitation, that we see in verse 25 is do not be worried about your life. Do not be worried about your life. Listen again to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so the general command... Do not be worried about your life. And then he gives specific examples as to what he's talking about. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, this is good. I showed up this morning. I got anxiety, but I'm not worried about whether or not I'm going to eat. And truth be told, my worry about eating is where I'm going to eat, not if I'm going to eat. Or you say, hey, truth be told, I I could care less about my clothes. Look at what I'm wearing. Ah, not so fast. This doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. Out of the gate, I believe we learned something that's just necessary for those that are struggling with anxiety, and that is that our struggles with anxiety can be overcome. They can be. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. I don't know what kind of view you have of Jesus. Jesus is not the kind of God who likes to play hide and seek with his will. I'm going to tell you one thing and then I'm going to give you a life that really seeks to to discredit and discount everything that I've said. No, that's not how Jesus acts. He's kind and compassionate and tender. Jesus makes this clear. Our worry can be overcome. Three times in this passage, in verse 25, in verse 31, and in verse 34, Jesus calls his followers to not worry. Don't be worried. And... And it's helpful as we're thinking about Jesus' kingdom and Jesus as king. Uh, Maybe your mind runs to some kings throughout history who have worked to keep their subjects in constant anxiety so that they could exert control. We can think even now of rulers that are ruling in such a way across the global landscape so as to keep their subjects under control, lay them down with worries and anxieties so that they can control them. I just want to remind you this morning, Jesus is not like those kings. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't secure his kingship by cultivating anxiety in his subjects. Rather, he secures his kingship by freeing his subjects, from anxiety. John Piper put it this way, God doesn't need to keep us anxious in order to establish his power and superiority. Instead, he exalts his power and superiority by working to take away our anxiety. Maybe you've seen the clip of Bob Newhart where he just... Guy comes in, he's talking to him about his problems, and Bob Newhart continues just to say, well, just stop it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Stop it. Stop it. If you've not seen it, I would encourage you to Google it after the service and look it up. Jesus isn't merely saying, stop it. And and perhaps this is captured in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this is what we read. Let your, gentle be spirit, uh, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the way in which the verses are numbered, I, I think they don't serve us here. Because we read verse 6 that begins with, be anxious for nothing. And somehow we disconnect that with the last little phrase of verse 5, which says, the Lord is near. And that's really what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is saying, because God is near, there's no need for anxiety. Because God is near, there's no need to worry. This isn't some blunt admonition to just stop it. This is an admonition that comes with a reason. You don't need to worry because the Lord is at hand. The general command is to not be worried about the needs of this life. And perhaps you're thinking, how in the world does Jesus say that? How does Jesus have the audacity to tell me not to worry about the things in this life? Well, six reasons. I think you'll see them in the text. The first one, Jesus says, do not worry because God has already provided in greater ways. Do not worry because God has already provided in greater ways. We see this the last half of verse 25. He says, so don't worry as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll put on. And then that last sentence or the last question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Most commentators agree that the more than means more important than. And so is not your life more important than food? Is not your body more important than clothing? And to understand what Jesus is doing is he's making this argument from the greater to the lesser. God has already given you life and a body. What leads you to doubt that he's going to to do anything other than take care of the life and the body that he's given you. Jesus is saying what God has already done, how he's already acted, what he's already given should serve as a consistent reminder that he's able and willing to give you what you need for lesser things. If he's given you life, why in the world would you not trust him with food? If he's given you your body, why would you not trust him with your clothes? And I believe this sentence really helps us and it leads us to understand just what Jesus is wanting to drive at here. I believe Jesus is warning us to be careful the value that we give certain things. Because the value that we give to certain things, the more anxiety will rule and reign around those things. I wonder this morning if you're giving more value to the lesser things at the expense of the greater things. I mean, I wonder if you really were to just list out all of the things that make you anxious could you find that most of those things are really lesser things and you can talk about and see how God has provided for greater things? And you just begin to go, wait a minute. How, why would I trust God to be faithful to the greater and I can't trust him to be faithful with the less? Life wasn't merely given for physical pleasures. It wasn't given for human praise. It wasn't given to have length on this earth. It was given so that we would be with God. And so don't be anxious about that which can't provide for being with God. God often uses our needs and our anxieties for a good purpose. And that good purpose is to remind us of what's most important and to protect us from valuing the lesser more than the greater. If God has provided the greater, friends, we can trust that he will take care of that which is less. 
And so again, I think what Jesus wants to do is he wants to invite those that are anxious. And he wants to overwhelm you with reasons why you should just come and trust him. And so the first thing he says is you don't have to worry about these lesser matters because God has already provided for greater ones. But the second thing that we see, do not worry because God provides for his children, which are more important than the birds. He provides for his children, which are more important than the, than the birds. We see this in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And so if the first point was arguing sort of, look at the greater that he's done, let's trust him with the less, this is flipped. This is an argument from the lesser. He cares for the birds. How much more then will he care for that which is greater than the birds? If God cares for the birds, will he not take care of you? God takes meticulous care of birds in feeding and in providing for them. And if he's more committed to his people glorifying him willingly, will he not provide for his people? Again, I just wonder, do an inventory on your anxieties. Are you inconsistent to see how God is faithful and caring and loving in all of these other ways, and yet you sort of think that somehow you've fallen outside of the scope of his care? And allow the Spirit to just correct that. If he's cared for the birds by providing for them, why would he not? What makes you think that he will not care for you by his provision? I think 1 Peter 5, 7 is helpful here. Cast all your anxieties on him, Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you know what the birds aren't doing right now? They're not anxiously questioning God's provision. They're not. Rather, they're going about their work diligently as though when tomorrow comes, God is still going to be God. And the God who provided for them today will be the God who provides for them tomorrow. And again, this isn't a let go, let God, like we're just not going to do anything. I mean, I think he uses birds as an example. Birds are diligent in what they do. And so it's not that work or planning is bad. No, the issue is trust. Upon what does your work and planning hinge? Is it grounded in a confidence in God? The birds have taught us that God can be counted on to provide for us tomorrow just as much as he has today. And when we grow anxious over whether or not God will provide, I think the message that we're sending to the world is that we're not worth that much to our God. Because if God provides even for the birds, will he not? Does he not care enough to provide for you? Friends, Jesus says, look at the birds. Learn from the birds. God will provide. He does provide. And he's trustworthy. And because he's trustworthy, worry is pointless. Third reason that we see, do not worry because worry accomplishes nothing. Do not worry because worry accomplishes nothing. We see this in verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? When was the last time that you made it through something difficult, something that was trying, something that was hard, only to look back and thought, man, if only I had spent more time worrying? No. 
And this is one of those points where it's, of course, so obvious. And yet we find ourselves much like a dog returning to his vomit, going back again and again to anxiety, to worry. And I think we go back again and again because we're longing for control. Like If I can just know, and if I can be confident that this is what's going to happen, then I won't have to worry. I just want you to know the whole Christian life is built not on here's the game plan for how it's all going to pan out detail by detail and so now you don't have to worry. No, the Christian life is here is the God who holds it all in his hands. And you know where it's ultimately going to end up and how we're going to get there, we have no idea. We do know it's going to be hard. We know there will be suffering We know it's going to cost, but we know we will never be alone. We know not at one point in this journey will we ever have to look and go, God, are you still here? And because of that, we can trust. He's worthy of our trust. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. And Jesus underscores that by asking this most ridiculous of questions, who has added one second to the span of their life by being anxious? I mean, who in being anxious is saying, guess what? I'm living longer. Worries are gone. All I got to do is worry about it and somehow they just magically disappear. No, when we worry about it, they compound. Whatever problem is causing you to feel anxious, anxiety will never lessen the problem. It will only make you more and more miserable as you try to deal with it. In love, hear Jesus this morning calling you, quit torturing yourself. We grasp for something so as to retain control. And much like the the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, what we end up finding is though we think we're grasping for control, what we're grasping and catching is anxiety. Friend, do you trust God? If so, then Jesus calls us to lay down worry. Number four, do not worry because God clothes the lilies and he cares more for his children. Do not worry because God clothes the lilies and he cares more for his children. We see this in verses 28 through 30. This is going to be a similar argument to that of the birds. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The beautiful colors of the lilies in the field have been provided by God himself. The lilies didn't spend time looking that way. They didn't make themselves look that way. Not even Solomon in all of his glory was adorned this way. And yet they are this way because of God. And so amidst the green grass comes these brilliant arrays of color of the lilies. And here's the thing. God has so cared and provided for the grass and the lilies. And guess what? They're only here for a little while. And so again, lesser to greater, if they're only here for a little while, I mean, they're burned up into the furnace tomorrow. How much more will he provide for his people that are meant to dwell with him forever? If God is able to do this with temporary flowers, how much more is he able to provide clothing for his children whom he loves and whom he will live with into eternity? And then he just says, you of little faith. 
And at that moment, again, it would be it would be easy to think this is where he folds his arms and this is where all of the wrath comes because he's upset. I don't understand that to be what's happening. Though this is hard to hear, it is needed because anxiety and worry is an insult to the character of God. It's an insult to the God who is faithful to provide. When we worry, we simply are not believing truth about God. And so I think it's helpful for you and I to understand that when talking about anxiety, anxiety is really a trust issue. Come what may, will we trust in who God is, who his word says he is, and who he has proven himself to be? Leads us to number five. Do not worry because worry marks non-Christians. Do not worry because worry marks non-Christians. We see this in verse 32. For the Gentiles, the pagans, those who do not worship God, they eagerly seek all of those things. They seek what it is they're going to eat, what it is they're going to drink, what it is they're going to wear. And so one of the ways in which the Lord is seeking to care for us is to say, for all who have trusted in God, for those who believe that God has made you his son by sending his son, made you his son or daughter, by sending his son to pay penalty that, that you deserve, to do what you couldn't do in defeating death and giving you what you would never earn on your own, an eternity with the God that you were created for, for all who have by faith trusted in the work of Jesus. You don't have to be anxious like those who do not belong to God. And again, I wonder, what does our anxiety say to others who don't have God when we deal with this in the same way? And I want to be clear, right? We're not talking about let's come to God so that we get rid of our anxiety. I'm saying we come to God because God is what we need. God isn't merely a means to another end. He is the end. So we come to God for God. And what we find is in coming to God for God and enjoying God as God, we begin to realize that we trust him more and more and our anxiety begins to wane. Spiritually speaking, going through life as though no one is looking after you that's what the world does. So if you don't have God this morning, then I just want to say, yeah, worry makes sense. Anxiety makes all the sense in the world. But if you are His, how do you reconcile your worry with belonging to Him? And then lastly, he says in verse 32, the latter part, do not worry because God knows all of your needs. Do not worry because God knows all of your needs. Listen to verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I want to be clear, he's not talking about all of your desires. He's talking about your needs. And so this is what we can say. So long as God wants you and I to live, he will provide everything we need for that. I hope you believe that. God doesn't take a day off. There are not gaps in his coverage for provision. No, he is faithful through and through. He knows what you need. He sees you in your need. And as is appropriate to him, he will provide for you in your need.
He doesn't promise you pain-free living, but he does promise to give you what you need to glorify him and to live with him until you reach glory to be with him. And that's truth. And I love how he says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Heavenly, he's sovereign over everything. Father, he loves you as you are on his heart as his child. Anxiety over what we need reminds us oftentimes that we're too close to the world and we're too far from God. And so those reasons should convince, should convince us that we can lay down our worry. And I love how he concludes two summary statements, two summary commands. The first one in verse 33, seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And the second in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble on its own. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness and do not worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble on its own. And so if I can just say, if you belong to Christ, it should be the aim of your life to obey the Lord, to live for his purposes, to seek to show that in everything Christ is your king and eternity is real. And if that's a priority in terms of guiding how we think and how we act and how we spend money and how we spend our time, then that leads us at some level to understand we don't have to grow anxious about all of the what-ifs. And I understand this isn't simply a silver bullet, just, hey, think this is true more. But I am saying, wash your soul and wash your concerns in the character of God so that you will be convinced more and more today than you were yesterday that He is trustworthy. That I can Take him at his word. And and maybe you've been listening to this whole thing and you're just thinking, yeah, you know what? All of that sounds good, but here's the problem. The problem is that I know from church history that Christians have died. And I know that they've died because they've starved to death. I know that they've died because they've been persecuted. I know that they've been stripped of their clothing. They've been left to freeze to death. And so it doesn't look like that the Lord provided for them. So what do you say about all of that in light of verse 33? And I think we say something like this, that God promises that as we seek first his kingdom, he'll give us everything we need so that we can live and glorify him as long as he deems that we have life. Do you believe that? And I don't think that this promise excludes the Lord from using our lives to glorify his son in our death. No, I think he chooses in our living and in our dying to bring glory to his son. And so just because some have died doesn't mean he's not faithful. But it does mean that as long as the Lord deems that you and I have life, he will make sure that we have what we need. And if you belong to the church, I just want you to know that all throughout the book of Acts, part of the ways in which he provides for you is through his people. Which is why it's not merely enough to say, give me Jesus, I don't need anything else. No, it's when I get Jesus and I become a part of his people. And the Lord uses me and he uses others to begin to provide and meet needs. It is a foolish thing to insist on carrying out anxious burdens when God has promised to uh, to care for us when we put his kingly honor first. And maybe it's just helpful to remember that every fear or anxiety that you are walking in today, legitimate or illegitimate, every one of them, you'll think differently about it in 20,000 years. You will. And that doesn't make it easier, but hopefully it provides a perspective that doesn't leave you, lead you to the spiral of more and more anxiety. But it lifts you to think about hope. And after seeking God's righteousness, then all things that we need will be added to us. Anxiety thinks too little about God. 
And so seek his kingdom first. And he has appointed each day with its joys and its hardships. And so the way Jesus ends is he just says, don't misappropriate God's troubles for tomorrow. Believe that when you wake up, God is going to be God then too. Spurgeon talked about worry not just uh, not helping us sort of borrow from tomorrow's troubles, but really robbing us from the strength to face today. Uh, there's a quote that I should have wrote down. <laughs> if all of your fears are on tomorrow, then the reality is that we don't enjoy God's goodness today. And don't miss the compassion of Jesus in verse 34. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Following Jesus is not about having trouble-free days. Following Jesus is about walking through trouble-laden days with a hope that isn't contingent upon circumstances alone. It goes deeper than that. You're given permission to deal with anxiety and fear today. How? Give it over to the Lord. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, rest on the character of God because he loves us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us what we do with our worries. And so I think we get to the end of this, and the bottom line is that most fear and anxiety simply is, can be traced to not trusting that God is good. And fear and anxiety will not lose its power until you are convinced that God is good. And so perhaps the best prayer for you to pray today is, God, convince me that you are good. Confess your fear and your anxieties. Come to Jesus. Forsake all other allegiances. Take your vow of loyalty to this King of Kings and seek first his kingdom. Fight, fight the natural impulse to think, I've got to live for self. Seek first his kingdom. Your hope isn't a trouble-free life, but it's a relationship with the one who promises that not even a hair will fall out from your head without his permission. And so to my Christian brothers and sisters, maybe this is your dirty little secret. That you are just ridden with anxiety. And I've prayed for you this week. When your theology says you have every reason to be confident and courageous and active, and yet, truth be told, you know that your anxiety has rendered you pass, passive, timid, and doubtful. That there's this huge gap between the theological confidence that you ought to have and the fear that grips your heart at the street level. I just want you to hear the words of Jesus, come to me. Come to me and find rest. You couldn't come to him had he not come to you first. And this is why the gospel is still good news for you today. It's because if he didn't come to you first, you can't come to him. And so your heart needs to delight most in the fact that he has first come to you. But he didn't just come to you. He dealt with your sin. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And the ascension, with the ascension, there came this promise that he would send his helper to dwell within you, God with you, so that you wouldn't be overrun with anxiety and fear. Christian, come to Jesus. And to my non-Christian friends, I think it's helpful for you to know that worry is not anxiety. It's not about what's happening around you. That the crux of this deals with what's going on within you. Because the Bible's full of examples where there were fearful settings. Joseph, Job, David. And in the midst of those anxiety-ridden settings, those people aren't marked with fear. But there's a confident trust 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 help us understand really the crux of the issue. 
The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded that one died for all, therefore all died. Why did he die? Why would Christ come and die for his people? Why would he, why would he endure himself to becoming sin, to enduring wrath, not that he deserved? Why would he do it on behalf of his people? He died for all so that they who might live might no longer live for themselves. And I believe that is the crux of anxiety. When we are prone to live for ourselves. When we are prone to grasp for control. We were made to live for something vastly bigger than ourselves. Namely God and his kingdom. But ever since Genesis chapter 3, humanity has been living for themselves. Meaning that we live for what we want and how we feel and what we think we need. And no longer do we attach the peace within to a gracious God who is loving, but we attach it to what we can do, how we can feel. And so when it comes to life, we then seek to call the shots. And the Bible says, hey, when you call the shots, that produces something called worry. That's not good for you. No, the Bible says when you seek to call the shots, that's what we call sin. And that is you are guilty before a holy God. And so your greater issue is the guilt before God, and the result of that decision is that you are littered. I mean, you are just filled with worry and anxiety. And to be guilty before God for sin committed against a cosmic God means that you will pay the penalty for that sin, and that penalty is death. And your guilt renders you unable You have an inability to deal with guilt and sin on your own. But God invites us to receive his care of forgiveness, his gift of forgiveness in his son. The feeling that you get when you're anxious as though just everything is falling in on you and around you. Jesus the son would come and he would endure that. He would allow it all to collapse on him, particularly the wrath of his father, so that all who would turn from their sin and trust in him alone, they wouldn't have to have that wrath collapse in on them. They would have accessibility and availability to know the freedom and the joy that's found in God. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest. One who loves us. One who has come near to us. And the invitation for my non-Christian friends is that this whole service, this whole sermon is running towards the end of saying, your anxiety is meant to show you that you're grasping for something that you cannot control. And good news, there is one who controls it all. And it requires you to humble yourself, to confess your sin, to believe that Jesus' work, his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection on the third day, that that is sufficient for you. And if you will do that, you can then know joy. And so if you're here and you're struggling with anxiety, I just want to encourage you to bring it to Christ. In your humility, leave your anxieties with him. Let go of your demands and your desire for control. And though it may not take away all the symptoms, it will allow you to experience a peace that surpasses understanding. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about the future. He's already paid for that. And this isn't self-talk. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This is Jesus' talk. This is look to Jesus' talk. He sees you. He knows you. He's care for you. He's a sympathetic high priest. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever troubles may await you in the morning, this is what we can know. Jesus will be there and he will meet us and he will be enough for those troubles. Church, he can be trusted. His grace is indeed greater than our anxiety. Let's pray. God, as your word has gone forth, I pray that you would allow there to be reflection and repentance, that there would be the ability to feel the warm embrace of a loving, compassionate God who draws near to us. 
God, help us trust you. We want to trust you more. And so in this moment of silence, would you speak?